Hey, what's up? Joey here from Jungle Brothers Podcast. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm talking with Lucas Aaron of Range of Strength. Lucas is building a pretty hefty sized community, mostly through social media. You can see him at Instagram of people who are trying to get stronger and more mobile. And as you'll hear, his philosophy, very much like ours, is all about the combination of strength training and flexibility training. And, and, and he's, as he sees it, they are one and the same. Really cool chat, a lot of good takeaways, very interesting to hear his journey going from a powerlifting background, having an accident in the gym and how that became the catalyst for him to go and do what he's now doing. I won't go into it any further. You're going to love the chat. I really enjoyed it and I look forward to connecting with him further down the track. Please enjoy today's episode with Lucas Aaron from Range of Strength. My man. Mate, thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's cool to connect. You know, I think we have uh, a lot of connections around us and we've never really connected much ourselves. Like, uh, I can't think of his name right now. Ghetto owns Ghetto. Uh, Will Grant. Will. Yeah, Will, right? Yeah, he referred me to you a while back. So I uh, jumped on, kind of see what you're all about. Like he said, you're like one of his go-to guys. And then, yeah, seeing you worked with Emmett in the past. And yeah, I think we just, it's cool to actually connect and get on for a chat. Mate, absolutely. Yeah, Will's Will's a longtime friend. I'm actually going to go down to his gym tomorrow morning, do a bit of training and, and catch up. And we, I mean, you probably know what it's like for gym owners and stuff. You don't actually get to hang out as much as you'd like to because you're so busy working. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I, it, I was surprised when I saw, um, I saw you were collaborating with Emmett a little while back and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know, I didn't know range of strength and Emmett were like, I didn't know you guys knew each other, but then it became clear to me because I've, I've followed your stuff for ages and I was immediately like, yeah. of course, man, like um, cut from the same cloth, you know, very similar philosophies, um, similar approaches. And yeah. I don't know, I guess there's this, this idea that you're in some other part of the world, you're in Nova Scotia, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Emmett's in Dublin, both extremely cold. Uh, but the, you're like of course the the internet is such a small place now it makes like uh, for us movement practitioners mobility practitioners it's so easy for us to connect through instagram and stuff so yeah of course we're all part of this one little community yeah it's cool man so you're I, in australia i am yeah i'm in sydney i'm in my uh, i'm in my garage right now which is the at home podcast studio when i i don't want my one-year-old to kick the door down <laughs> uh, yeah it's pretty cool. Feel that. Yeah, bro. We uh, we usually record out of the gym, uh, which is Jungle Brothers, and we're down in like the south part of the city, which is I don't know forty minutes from here. Yeah, uh, but where possible, if I'm just doing a solo show like today, uh, I'll do it from home. It's, it's kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't have as much space freedom at home lately these days, so I've been sneaking into the bedroom for these podcasts. <laughs> Mate. The house is in turmoil. <laughs> Who do you? What's your deal? Do you live? You live with a partner? Do you live with flatmates? Like, what's your what's your home situation like? Yeah, married now for, geez, over ten years. Uh, we have three kids. I have a twelve-year-old, and uh, the twins are ten. So yeah, full-on family life outside of all the social media stuff you see, and. Uh, yeah, that's just full on, man. That's the balance between, you know, staying up with all that stuff. My older guy, he just got into working out. So 
he asked me three times already, are we working out today? Cause I'm showing him stuff and he's super keen to like do it right, which is cool. But uh, yeah, it's just a different phase, different phase of that parenthood kind of family life. But that's my, that's my jam. Mate, that's beautiful. I actually, I had no idea you, you have kids and I guess it's, it's the, you, there's, we, we all use social media for different things. And I suppose for you, it's your business and it's your training. Yeah. Um, is there an effort? Do you try not to get the family involved, say with Instagram? Like, is that a, something you'd like to keep separate? I have in recent years. Uh, in the past, I had, a, I had that heavily involved in my account. And as it's kind of grown and gotten to a certain uh, point where it's become maybe my message delivery has changed in a point where it's kind of like, I don't know, I, the kids are getting older and it's just not the same. <laughs> like they don't really want to be a part of that. And, and my wife doesn't want to be a part of that. And so it's, yeah, it's kind of my own thing now, but when they were younger, I used to share a lot more of their stuff. Like we used to go outside and play on the rings and, you know um, yeah, they just don't, now they're kind of like, no, I don't really want to, you know, be <laughs> do that kind of stuff. Dad, don't post that. I always <laughs> say that. Don't post that, dad. Don't post that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I find myself pondering that with my my one year old. You know, obviously, he's got no fucking idea, right? And so, and you know, and so I'm thinking, oh man, this is super cute. I want to, you know, and I like to, and I'm sure you felt the same at that time where you like to tell that story. You like to show people, hey, I. I got I got other commitments outside of my training, and this is how I balance it, and this is the characters in my story, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always that feeling I have where is there something unethical about it? Like, is my son one day going to say, "Hey, man, you know, I didn't give you permission <laughs> to put that photo of me eating a chicken drumstick or whatever"? Um, yeah. And I think that's a that's an interesting kind of conundrum that our generation has found itself in because we're, we were the first people to kind of catch hold of this social media thing weren't we yeah yeah for sure and yeah they're about, like they're into that like more than anything now my we've held off to the point where we can't anymore but my 12 year old has a cell phone now um but yeah like all the kids in those circles like 10 year old 10 years old and nine year olds like have cell phones at school it's like what it's crazy man like i was like 18 when i got my first cell phone like wild it's just crazy but yeah and because of that they're like you know the social media side of things they connect like and with covid and stuff too right they're connecting with their friends online all the shutdowns we've had and everything so everything's online but yeah they they're really particular about what i share now and then they've kind of seen me like kind of grow in recent years like my social medias and stuff and so they're always like don't put that on there (laughs) mate times are changing fast huh yeah man so brother tell me um there's a really interesting piece there and and interesting that you mentioned will from ghetto because will is you know we were once counter (laughs) we were once counterparts in the training thing like you know it was both of us were just young dudes gym owners we could put all the time we wanted into our training and, you know, arguably we put way more time into our training than many other things in life. Um, yeah. Will, from what I can tell, seems to still 
kind of ride that wave a little bit. I'm much less concerned. Like I'm much less into it these days. I, I train, you know, a much more balanced amount. And it's just, you know, based on whatever I'm into. Um, yeah. But Will's got three kids and I'm always looking at him. He's. I told him the other day, I'm like, he, he's a little bit of a dad inspo for me because I'm like, man, you got three kids, you got a business, you got staff and you got all this training and, you know, other stuff you want to do. And it sounds like you're kind of riding a similar wave in a sense, at least from, you know, what I'm, you know, what I'm picking up. Talk to me about what that transition was like for you, where maybe you went from not having the commitments of family to, to now having that to a, you know, quite a degree. Well, our, uh, when, when my wife uh, was pregnant with our first, um, that was kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe like, it wasn't that I wasn't like, I guess, pushing myself and striving to like, you know, do more of what I wanted. But really when we found out we were expecting that our first child, that was when I felt like a lot of maybe immaturities or like bullshit that I was carrying just kind of like disappeared. And I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I want to do. And those inspirations started to arise from like, I want to inspire my child to know that I like followed my dreams and did the things that I loved doing. That was, I, I kind of have grown up that way where it's like, I don't want to, you know, go get a nine to five and live that way because that's just expected. And that's just what you do, which is maybe the setting that I grew up in kind of like small class family. And it was just like, go get a job and shut your mouth. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, I feel like, at that point when we found out we were having our first child was when I was like, you know, I'm going to go hard. I'm going to go hard and really follow these goals and these aspirations I have and in doing so inspire my kids to do the same. So, I mean, that was like, that wasn't like a, you know, a straight path or anything. There's obviously an uphill battle to that. And, um, you know, finding social media, like, like you were saying earlier, like we were a part of, that time when Instagram kind of started becoming a thing and um, yeah, just that kind of grew and to develop into what it was. And I found this outlet where I'm, I've now been able to do that in a way that um, is accommodating with the family. Um, but yeah, I think that was like, when I reflect back, like that moment I found out we were having our first child uh, that was when everything just kind of like clicked you know, cause I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I grew up with friends that knew what they wanted to, to do, like since we were in junior high or, you know, like they just always knew they were going to do this and they're doing that now. And I was, you know, I was like trying stuff and I loved training and sports and stuff. And, but I never really had that clear, like, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I feel like that was like a turning point where I knew, okay, I'm going to get into this field of work and I'm going to go hard and, this is what I like doing. Like, you know, you kind of make those decisions when those things are kind of put upon you, I guess, or there was for me. So you were, you were, you're saying that your friends, most of your mates kind of knew what they wanted to do, had that sort of clarity, whereas you were a bit less certain about it. Yeah, for sure. I bounced around a lot of different things, man. Like I went to business school for a bit, like studied marketing. <laughs> right on. Like, yeah. Was, I didn't really know what I want to do there, but. I was, you know, taking some education and then I went, uh, what else was I doing? Psychology for a bit. 
like, and I don't even know why I was going to school. Like I was kind of just keeping up with my mates. Like they were going to school and I was just, you know, bouncing around trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, and then I started working in a gym. Uh, and that was like, I was working in a gym cause I was like out there all the time anyway. I was always training and, um, got really passionate about that for myself. And then it kind of just made sense. I was like, well, I'm here all the time. I could take some, some courses and just start making some money hanging out here. And, and that's kind of how that all started. It was more, you know, uh, doing it for myself. Like I just loved being in the gym and training and, you know, found some part-time work that way while I was doing school and trying to figure that stuff out. But yeah, it was a little different for me, I guess. than all everyone that knew what they wanted to do. <laughs> that resonates with me a lot. I, I feel like the majority of my friends didn't know what they wanted to do either. We were all kind of, we're all kind of cruising. And I, I think back to friends who, who did have that clarity, you know, the ones who went on to become lawyers or nurses or you know medical practitioners like and they had that that sort of direction from the beginning i feel like that was definitely the minority in in you know within my kind of social network um it's funny i I ponder that often and i do feel like i mean i feel like there's a great privilege that comes with that because if you don't have to choose then Mm. then obviously things are going pretty good because there's no you know you don't have the squeeze on you to you know, to go, no, I have to go and get two degrees so that I can get a job as a computer developer and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love looking back in the way that you did it, what, like all the different things I've done in the past. And then you're like, it could have so easily worked out that I didn't end up where I am. Yeah. Like nothing was, you know, there was just, there was so many different opportunities. And like you said, different jobs, and maybe you chose to go down one of those avenues and, you could have been a you know a marketing guy. Well, arguably you still are a marketing guy, but you know yeah. could have been a more corporate yeah. approach, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. And uh, well, I I remember it wasn't even as clear as like when we found out we were expecting our first. That I was like, oh, I'm going to be a coach because there was some panic there too. Because uh, like I don't know what it's like over there with you, but out here in Canada, the oil rigs is out west, so that's kind of like where I'm in the East coast, very small, that feeling of like, I'm going to go out West to make some cash, you know, and go on the rigs. Uh, that was a, that's a common thing too, where it's, you know, if something comes up and you're like, Oh shit, I gotta, you know, I'm going to go make some. So that was actually, that could have been certainly the scenario as well too. Cause I was thinking about that. I said to my wife, you know, like I'll, I'll go out to the rigs, I'll make some money and we'll get things set up and then we'll figure things out. And she was actually, the one who got like, I really lucked in with her, man. Cause she, she pulled things in and was like, no, we're going to be all right. Like you finished your schooling. Cause at the time I was, I was studying exercise science in college. Um, so I was kind of finding that niche of what I wanted to do, but I was going to abandon it. And I was going to, you know, oh, Frig, we're having a kid and all stuff. Right. But she, you know, she held on strong and, and, you know, told me finish. We'll, you know, we'll be all right. And, um, and yeah, that's, it all worked out in the end or it's still working out kind of thing. Right. Like, yeah. Mate, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We do. We do have a similar thing with, with the mines here. Coal, um, I actually don't know what they mine. and they mine coal, but they mine every, you know, a bunch of different minerals over in Western Australia. So same kind of idea. We're on the East. Yeah. 
over in the West, if you go to Western Australia, it's extremely kind. Like there's heaps of, you know, young guys that are super cashed up because mining is, you know, easy to access for them. Um, occasionally you meet a guy here in the East that, that, you know, and, and, and women too, but it is predominantly a male thing, but you know, they will, yeah, sort of, what do they do? They, they fly in and fly out. Do the, do the rigs work yeah. similar? Like you go in, work real hard for a couple of weeks and then come yeah. home for a week kind of vibe. Yeah. Exact same. Yeah. They go to a camp and yeah. they, they come back and, and, uh, you know, I contemplated that off and on a few times when I was trying to figure things out and it was just, you know, the few uh, friends I had that did that, you know, the, it wasn't, they weren't the same after a while, you know, like going out there on a camp and, you know, you're working super hard and, and you're coming back home and you got cash and stuff, but you're, you know, it just, it's just a distant thing. It wasn't my vibe, like never in, in it for the money per se. Like that was never, my motivation was never like, you know, I got to make as much money as possible and then stop doing things that I like doing. Like it's not, it's always been like, find something you like or love and make money doing it. And yet you never work a day in your life. Like I've always liked that kind of, uh, of approach to things. So that I guess wasn't appealing to me to go there and kind of slave away and come back and, and, you know, what are you doing with the money at that point? Cause you're working so hard and, and, you know, then you want to decompress. So then you're kind of blowing your money on the frivolous things that don't matter. Right. Like hookers and drugs. Uh, yep <laughs> so yeah i think i dodged a bullet uh with that approach but uh definitely you know things happen in life sometimes and i think some of my friends went that route because a certain scenario came upon them and they were like i gotta make some cash and then you kind of get stuck in that thing right and that's just the thing that you're doing and that's what you know and that's when it's hard to make that decision like i don't like this and I want to actually find what it is that I am passionate about and what I love doing. And I think there's a lot of people that live like that. And I feel like I strive to not live like that. Like I don't want to find myself. I don't want my kids to find themselves in a scenario where they get stuck and they're not finding passion in, in life and what they're doing. So that's kind of my source of inspiration, I think, at the end. So how did you take it from exercise science working in a gym connecting those dots like you know you know what i could do this i could make a bit of money from this what was that the timeline and the journey like from there to to say where you are now where you have an established online fitness business that i'm guessing is your your main source of income and your full-time gig talk to me about what that journey was like in between well that's um maybe like a year and a half or almost two years now it's approaching that it's my full-time gig. So that's, I think important to have, you know, that context because I graduated in like 2010. So I've been going hard with trying to make that, you know, my sole income since that point, which requires you to go get more work and more experience and, and kind of figure things out, which is, I think a lot of, new fresh coaches don't not all of them think that way right like i'm gonna i'm gonna get out and i'm gonna you know start something up and i'm gonna have it all figured out it's like no nah, man it's gonna take some time to figure it out and you know how what works and experience working with people and that sort of thing but 
when I do think back, um, I was always striving for online work because it just made the most sense to me. So like back then, I remember blogging was more of a thing. So um, I had a blog at the time. So I was posting training in my blog and uh, just sharing my workouts. And there was some community around that kind of building up. So uh, working that way. And then whatever clients I was working with in the gym, I was always trying to give them stuff online and kind of push in that direction. I saw a benefit in that. Also within myself, the ability to take more clients. It was like, you know, if I can free this person up online a little bit more, then I can maybe find some more one-to-one uh, work. So yeah, from the start, um, I was always striving for that online kind of structure. Um, and I don't really remember where that came from. I think I was just uh, maybe working with other coaches because I was, I was powerlifting competitively. That was like my sport of choice. And some of the coaches I was working with, it was like, you know, you're paying them whatever it was at the time, maybe 500 bucks for a block of training you're getting like a spreadsheet right? and then my interaction with them was pretty minimal and I was kind of like man that's a good gig for like what they're doing sending me a spreadsheet and I'm doing one-to-one PT for you know an hour an hour and a half and so I always saw the benefit in like oh getting into online work it's like you can get that extra income you're looking for and have a little bit more balance um so yeah man from the start um pushing the online kind of uh, journey and everything. I did get to a point where I was um, pretty busy part-time online as a powerlifting coach. And then that's when my injury happened and the whole identity like switched. And then it was like, who am I? (laughs) What do I want to be as a a coach in the fitness industry? And, um, And that was when, I kind of segued into like Instagram and sharing a different journey. And that different journey was like my own journey, kind of coming back out of injury and um, finding flexibility and that sort of stuff. And then that segued into range of strength, like what it is now. And I think at that time when I was sharing that journey of transformation and um, kind of all those things, I didn't know that that was going to, be where I was going. I just knew that I had to share that because I had kind of felt like I lost my identity as a power lifter and I, you know, lost a lot of things. And I was like, I'm going to start sharing this different journey and kind of search for that community that I kind of had previous to. And uh, yeah, it, it did. I did connect with a lot of um, people that I'm still connected with now at that time. And um, yeah, it's kind of all led to where we are now. Tell me about the injury. So it was a bicep rupture, which it's kind of a funny injury to talk about because it doesn't really sound as uh, crazy as like, you know, breaking your femur or anything. But when you're powerlifting competitively, um, I had gotten myself to a certain weight category, um, a certain shape, body type, ability to do certain things. When the bicep goes, I wasn't able to do any of it. Couldn't deadlift, couldn't bench. Um, squatting was, you know, subjective to the safety squat bar. Like, and at that time, it was like the realization of the shape I had gotten myself in. 
right? And then it's like, okay, I have, I have a kid. We had one kid at the time. Um, what do I want for the long-term goals in my life? And that was, I wanted to move better. I wanted to get myself in better shape. It wasn't really flexibility at the start. Like it wasn't like the first thing that came to my mind was like, I need to be more flexible. It's like, I need to move better and get myself in better shape. So that's when um, body composition, I started to um, make a switch there. And I started finding body weight training, gymnastics training as uh, I really connected with that and appealed to that and went hard into the flexibility. So yeah, the bicep injury was, it was a longer recovery than you would think. I had an endo button procedure done. So it's when they kind of shave a bowl in the radius bone and then they pull the tendon down and attach it to a plate, a little steel plate and it has to grow over like all that stuff. So it was a little longer of a recovery, but for the better, it's supposed to be a stronger repair. So, um, that was tough, man. Like trying to figure out how to just like put pressure on my hand again. And I think too, it didn't help. Like I have seen other guys, um, rupture their biceps that were in like good shape and have, and have had like really good capabilities prior to have like a really strong recovery. And I did have a strong recovery eventually, but like, for me, it was that like the shape I was in and the abilities that I had, like I couldn't even straighten my elbows and that, and I was that guy. Like, I don't know if you've seen that guy that's like, no, I can't straighten my elbows, man. Like it's never going to happen. I can't straighten my elbows. Oh yeah. <laughs> even, even when they're hanging from a bar, it's like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I was, I was that guy. So like, and then I ruptured my bicep. I was like, I mean, I'm never going to straighten my elbows. So, you know, it was definitely an uphill battle to then find gymnastic strength training and all of these things that I had never gone hard into before and, and, you know, start studying straight arm strength and, and find, make these connections like, Oh, there's like other ways that you can approach training. And I was very much more of like your kind of typical S and C powerlifting type coach prior to. So that was like a big uh, growth opportunity for me when I got injured. It was like, I got to go, like, I'm going to go study all these things I know nothing about. And that maybe I turned a blind eye to prior to, but now I can't, I don't really have any other option. Doctors tell me I'll never deadlift again. No, you'll never deadlift again. What do you mean? (laughs) You know, so you have to start. On that, were you like, no, no, I'll deadlift again? Like, or were you, yeah, okay. So you were kind of determined to surpass this. Yeah, very determined to just look where I hadn't looked before. And, you know, hook grip is obviously a thing I knew of. So I was like, oh, I can hook grip. Um, but ah, beyond that. We're talking less less pressure through the bicep tendon when hook gripping? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I never really put, put those two together, but that makes sense. Yeah, and I was like, I actually started deadlifting a lot sooner because of that. Like I started using hook grip. And there was a little, like a period there where I was like, I'm going to go back to powerlifting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I had that talk with my wife, right? Like, she's like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, you know, I was being, re- I was just being a meathead about it. Like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, you know, have a comeback. And like, she was, you know, putting things into perspective. And yeah, as the recovery process went on, I was like, fuck, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like. That was uh, an interesting time, man. That was definitely an interesting time in my life. Like when you feel really vulnerable like that, uh, 
especially when you've been in like that, you know, community and setting and kind of built yourself up to be, you know, strong and kind of bulletproof, whatever that means. Right. Um, yeah, it was really, uh, it was a wake up call for sure. Mate, that's, that's a real fascinating little sort of snippet there. I, I, we talk about it a lot, this idea of the specialist becoming really good at something, but moving away from a lot of other things or sacrificing a lot of other capacities in order to become excellent at that one thing. And power lifters always like are a great example in my mind where they are just so incredibly strong at those specific movements. And, you know, like I'm, so I've got a jujitsu background. If you bring a power lifter into their first jujitsu class, if they get their hands on you, like you're going to get fucked up, you know, like they're going to be able to ragdoll you at the very least. However, they just lack the ability to move in, in, you know, positions that are not linear or straight up and down. Yeah. And I, you know, we've had over the years, a lot of powerlifters come to the gym, Jungle Brothers, and they're like, I want more of this. You know, I, I don't know what it is that I want, but I see what's going on and I want to be a part of it. And you, this journey that they have to go through, especially like if they're quite advanced with their lifting in there and they've built a lot of mass around it and a lot of, a lot of tension, it just, it's such a, it's such a hard path to go down. I think that you know, to paint the picture very clearly for folks, it's a hard path to go down because you've got to do a fuckload of work in order to open the body up and, and bring in this range of movement, don't you? Yeah. You got to put faith in that too. Right. And you got to believe, you know, if you're my coach and you're telling me, yes, in a year or two years, you can move really good. It's like, fuck, that's a long time, man. And like, you got to put the work in and you got to see day in, day out, no progress. And you got to keep going. Whereas in powerlifting, you run a 12 week training block. You made all this, all these gains, right? Oh, I made all these gains. I got so strong and put mass on and movement. Flexibility That is tough, man. That's a <laughs> tough game. That's going to take a long time. I find that often that message will get through, but for an individual, whether it's a conscious decision of theirs or not, they, they will often turn their back on on that process. They'll be like, you know what? I don't want it bad enough that I'm going to to, to take the, the piece that you said, I'm, that I'm going to sort of change my identity. Um, because often this is happening at, I don't know, early 30s, maybe late 30s, somewhere around there where you're like, I've invested over a decade of my life into this sport and I really love it and it forms a basis of who I am. You're now telling me that I can change, but it, it means as inverting this whole sort of picture of myself that the world has. Um, and, you know, without criticizing it for a lot of people, it's, they don't see that as worth it. Like I can't be fucked to, I'm just going to either continue on being an injured powerlifter or injured specialist, whatever, or yeah. I'm just not going to train anymore. Yeah. Can you talk on that, that transition and choosing to, to take the, the path where you're like, all right, I've, I've got to go and become a beginner now at this thing. And like you said, it's going to be one or two years before I'm, you know, competent at moving. Yeah, for sure, man. And the hardest part was leaving the community that I was really grown attached to. Right. Because I always talk about community. It's like, it's really why we do a lot of this stuff, man. Like you get a community, you meet people that share the same interests and it's exciting, right? Like, 
training. Uh, it was Arthur, Arthur Saxon in, in one of his early books. He talks about training alone versus like training with someone or to show someone something. And he like words it really well. Like I can't think of it off the top of my head right now, but like, yeah, community and like thriving around others that are like working towards similar goals and powerlifting is really built on community. Like, yeah, you're getting strong and it's an individual sport, but you're always doing it with like a group of people that you get really close with. So that's definitely part of it too, right? Is you tie into these friendships and uh, now you don't necessarily feel like that resonates with you in the same way, but you don't want to lose those friendships. That was, that was a really challenging time for me. So I did disconnect from that completely because that's the only way to do it. It's like trying to stay friends with a, an ex, right? Like this ain't working. <laughs> Why are we trying to do this? So we just disconnect right away, right? You can maybe talk again in five or 10 years and everything's cool, which that being said, I have reconnected with powerlifting community that I used to be quite attached to. And the gym I train at now, I used to do powerlifting workshops there like 10 years ago or so. Um, so I've kind of been able to bring myself back into these settings and it's in a different, with a different lens where they actually are kind of interested in what I've done right now. It's like, Oh, you actually went and did this stuff and you're moving better. Can you help me a little bit? Maybe not to the extent that I journey I went on, but like they want to keep powerlifting. Right. And that wasn't necessarily in my cards, but that was definitely the hardest part. I got I got to ask are you familiar with Joseph Campbell's work? No, I'm not. He he wrote he he coined he came up with this model of the hero's journey which is the narrative that that all great stories follow. Mm. And, but but what you've detailed there just uh, exemplifies the hero's journey to to a T this idea of you are you're you're living your life you in, you encounter an obstacle. Yeah. At first you you're not sure if you can make it but you meet the mentors and you get the help you need, you meet the Yoda and then, uh, or the Obi-Wan Kenobi rather, and then you go on this journey of development to finally yeah. circle back around to come back to your people, which are the powerlifters amongst others, to teach them what you've learned. It's, yeah. it's, it's just funny. I, have a look at it when we, when we hop off because you'd be like, yeah, oh, that's, that's sure. kind of funny. But <laughs> yeah, when you said like, now I'm reconnecting and I'm showing them you know, what, I, what, I've, what I've learned, I mean- that's fucking amazing. Please continue. Don't let me cut you off again. Yeah, that's cool. A cool way to think about it for sure. And that's, I think when we are, um, you know, brought to that moment where we have to make those decisions, that's the hardest decision for people to make is like leaving that people, the community, leaving these things that you are so attached to, because that's really what you're attached to. You maybe aren't as attached to, you know, the movement freedom aspect of it, but rather, you know, because even like you said, you look in the the specialist in other areas, you know, they're getting just as banged up. Like gymnastics is awesome, but competitive gymnasts, when you talk to them when they're older, they're pretty banged up, man. (laughs) So that's not the lifestyle they're probably going to take forever. They'll always have a part of that of them in their lives, but, um, you know, it kind of goes in all of those specialized routes where you kind of get yourself and I deal with, and that's because I also deal with those people like clients and, and other 
students that mentor with me, like they've come from some specialized background where they want to find that freedom to move and that flexibility and, and that kind of stuff. But it's the same thing. The hardest part is detaching themselves from that um, thing for a little while. Right. Because that's going to be a distraction. That's, and even still dealing with that when people come to me and want to improve their flexibility, they're not always bought in. Right. Like, I just want to try this for a month and see if I like it. Okay. That's cool. You can, you can do that. I'm going to lay it out for you and say that, that this is the commitment that's needed and, you know, integrating other things, you know, we can do that, but this should be the priority if this is what your goal really is. But um, yeah, that's always the hardest part for people. So that's what it was for me, man. It's like detaching myself from that, trying to find that new identity and, and kind of go to th- these like and that was I was doing that by myself I went to I was going to yoga classes and I went to a few circus classes there's a circus school out where I'm at like I was going to these weird places by myself because no one else would go with me so I was putting myself into those environments and that was really intimidating but trying to connect the pieces was always kind of had my coach's hat on like okay why are you doing that and why are we doing this and trying to kind of bridge the gap there who were some of your biggest influences at around that time? Well, first it came from local uh, people. So there was this one guy, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he, uh, he was like the calisthenics guy, Joey, <laughs> Joey, Joey Lavoie Good man. was his name. <laughs> yeah. And he had that like gymnast look too, right? He was like shorter, huge upper body, but I just connected with what he was doing, body weight stuff. Um, you know, I was like, I gotta just talk to him, see what he kind of uh, shares with me. So he started sharing uh, overcoming gravity. It was kind of like the first uh, resource kind of book I had gotten at that time where it was like body weight focus. Have you read that book? I haven't. I know of it. Yeah, it's it's a really good training reference. Like it lays out the skills and the progressions and um, programming, which was, I was always obsessed with programming side of things. And so I got into that. I started doing some body weight stuff. And then, uh, I found uh, coach summers, uh, gymnastic bodies. Yep. So I found his work and that was at the time when it was, uh, like really fresh. So, you know, uh, if you connected with that stuff, it was like Jefferson curl, like, all this stuff, loaded mobility work. Yeah, just like, what? What is this crazy you can't, stuff? You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I got into that and uh, really connected with, uh, he called it the weighted mobility work because it was, you know, it was my jam, strength training and finding ways to improve your flexibility. And uh, that led to Kit Lachlan. So Kit had done the Gymnastic Bodies Stretch Series. Like he was a part of that development. Ah, and, yeah. I wasn't aware so, that he had contributed to to gymnastic bodies work back then. Yeah, you, him and Coach Summer were working together for a while, and it was mainly uh, he came in as the source for bringing flexibility to all his systems. So, if you remember, he had like the stretch series stuff with the gymnastic bodies. So, Kit was uh, involved in organizing that you can kind of tell that he left because that stretch series stuff kind of halted, (laughs) didn't have 
much detail to it. It's like, here's some stretches and you're like, okay, but like, what, how, why? Right. Um, so finding kit was a breakthrough at that time because he's like, he's the goat man. Like he's been teaching adult flexibility, like his whole life. Um, and on himself, like it all started with him. Like I really connected with his story and obviously all the work he's done. Um, but really trying to pinpoint and find out how adult flexibility works. It was like, that was, I started also seeing that as like a thing that I could get into. It's like, if I'm not going to be a powerlifting coach anymore, what kind of coach am I going to be? And you see how you can adult flexibility, like how, how many people can you help with that? Right. So kit getting into kits work, um, for a few years there and then finding Emmett through Kit's work and getting into Emmett's work, which like Emmett's work, he, he puts so much free stuff out as well. Like, like you can binge his stuff on YouTube and um, you know, like that I took the head to toe journey at, at that time. That was like the big, the big uh, Emmett's chalkboard his blackboard kind of series was going on. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. The ones and, with, the, uh, with yeah, the terrible audio. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you had the best videos uh so that i mean getting into emmett's work was cool because emmett really presented the strength side of flexibility and that was when things like really started to connect it's like you know kit's presentation is like kind of the softer side and then you kind of get into emmett's work and you see like it's the harder side kind of brought together like how those two things kind of uh merge um and yeah, man, like that was like around that time was when I started going hard into splits and back bends. And like, I just started really buying into flexibility. Like I was doing the gymnastics strength training stuff, but not to the degree where I thought I was going to do a planche. Like, I don't know if you see my body type either. Like I'm not really <laughs> for that stuff. Like I, I progressed pretty far with it, got in good shape with it, but like I connected with the flexibility work. Like it really um yeah it just pulled me in man like that was like i gotta do this i gotta go all in here figure this stuff out and then kind of come out and try to you know see how the how all the dots connect after that because you you know you go on those journeys where you already have an experience like i was a power lifter and now i'm like diving crazy hard into flexibility and then back of my mind is like what's that gonna look like when i come out <laughs> like at the combination like yeah, like what's that going to look like when I understand how flexibility and powerlifting have connections? It's like that was always what I was after. It's like I want to come out of here and like know how to kind of merge these two things. And I, you know, maybe not quite there yet. Definitely more closer to that than ever. But that's a deep journey you got to take for yourself. And yeah. During that time, were you maintaining strength? through your powerlifting or did you pretty much just put all that on ice? I was trying to for a while and uh, I probably, you know, knowing what I know now, I probably could have hung on to that. Um, but I had to just go all in, man. Like I kind of got to a point where I was like, I just got to go all in on this and like see what happens, knowing that I'll always be able to come back. Um, so yeah, it was like a couple of years. I wasn't really lifting much at all. And then, the funny thing is I didn't lose much strength in terms of like where my body comp had gotten to. I wouldn't say that it took me long to 
build back up. And if anything, I was just in better positions. I was, I was better capable to move and squat and, you know, it was, everything kind of just felt easier. So at what point did you, and I guess this is jumping forward to range of strength. Um, at what point did you sort of merge those two, those two ideas together, like the, the building flexibility, but then also building strength, which, you know, as we know is kind of what the bedrock of mobility is, but the way you do it, I would, I would argue is quite unique. You know, you, you, you do a lot of barbell lifts. I see you doing a lot of, like you like a lot of kind of the old, the old time strongman sort of lifts as well. I see some Zercher stuff in there. Um, so there's like this, this love of strength, but also it's, it's not at the expense of range, which, you know, yeah. is pretty much summed up in your name, range of strength. Talk to me about when that, you know, when you, when you sort of came to, to be pushing both of those either in your own training or in the business. So I, uh, found Keegan Smith in two, when was that? 2020, 2019. Mm. So we started connecting and, uh, I connected with the real movement at the time. It was uh, when I started getting into that stuff and he was like trying to do that. He was like, I need a flexibility guy to kind of help me with the strength side. Cause you know, it was still a little bit more separated with like what he was doing with real movement, some barbell traditional strength stuff. And we had connected and did a podcast together. It was like my second or third podcast, the range of strength podcast. And, uh, yeah, like we connected on a different level where we kind of knew what we both were looking for. Like he was looking for that blend and I was looking for that blend. And, um, that was kind of able when we were able to come together and kind of really experiment with merging these two worlds and what that looked like. Um, so I put out at the time when the real movement platform was out for coaches, I put out a practical guide to splits so that was like the first um opportunity for a range of strength to be something that was presented in that way and it was called a range of strength so range of strengths practical guide to splits was what we called it and it was uh it was basically front side splits pancake but showcasing how you can do it with strength training so you go back and on the platform i have now i still have that 2019 um presentation of it and then i have like the updated one where it's like then a couple of years into it i was you know doing all these other different things and this is what i feel is a, a better optimal approach now for training splits through strength and obviously i think the thing there's we're all looking for that ability to merge it into our practice it's like how can i do this where i'm doing some other things kind of generalist approach so that's kind of how things have updated that way. But yeah, that was how things unfolded. And then that turned into a range of strength certification when we were doing the certifications through real movement. And that was, I did some teacher training. So kind of bringing coaches in that just knew basically sharing the journey I went on is what it was. It's like, here's adult flexibility and like some flexibility stuff that you need to know in the background and that education piece, but it was always about the practical 
um, side of the training and the teacher approach was like, you got to do this stuff. Like we got to get into the program. We got to stretch. We got to learn these moves and like understand them. And I think that's where we as coaches grow the most is through when we actually start applying the knowledge. Right. And that's where flexibility is lacking. Um, there's a lot of, it's really growing now. And there's a lot of coaches that are like getting that flexibility education, but really aren't getting their hands dirty still. It's like, we've got to get in there and, and understand how it works on our own bodies. So we can understand how it works with other bodies and, and things like that. So that was kind of the big component to the teacher training I was doing was trying to give coaches that practical hands-on experience online, which was a bit hard to do. Uh, but yeah, that's how things kind of shaped and evolved to where now my membership is membership's kind of like a presentation of all the programming systems, but then there's the educational side to it too, where you, you can go through all those webinars and, you know, have access to those, um, things that I did in the past and the upgrades I've been putting on them ever since. So yeah, that's where we are now. Mate, amazing. I remember meeting Keegan years ago at a at an Edo Portal workshop in Sydney. And um we'd had a lot of mutual friends over the years. And I I mean, that guy's bounced around the fitness industry, so many different corners of it. And he's been, you know, for better or for worse, he's he's, you know, he's he's had an impact. Um seems to be he's aligned himself with a lot of incredible coaches. So doesn't surprise me that uh, you know, a large part of your sort of development in recent years was you know whatever there was a, a part where you were yeah. involved in that um i remember when i i had a knee surgery a couple of years ago and i you know uh, had an acl reconstruction um and i was looking for some strength training to get back on track and i i wanted to check out uh, the knees over toes guy and i signed up to his program this is some years ago and i remember seeing your your stuff there as well and it was like I think it was the the athletic truth group and it was like you know there was four or five different things and i didn't really look at the other things but i was like oh that's cool there's like these other little journeys that i can follow here um yeah. talk to me about that what was the what was the relationship there and do you are you still part of a collective or are you now your own entity yeah i'm my own entity now and the merger there with real movement and atg at the time was to bring uh coach like it was about trying to bring real movement into like a dual subscription so it's kind of like if you subscribe as a real movement coach you get access to the atg platform and all these um, training concepts and programs and ideas and when that was something that we were working on jeffrey wolf the flexible. So he was the flexibility guy for ATG. Him and I collaborated together. So we started, I started doing the coach's course. He was doing the, the programming kind of side to it that was attached to that platform. And uh, that was, that was an awesome experience. Jeff and I are uh, still very close to this day. And uh, we had similar journeys from like that gymnastic bodies through to like going through kit stuff and finding eminent like him and i were on the same journey and sharing that with each other along the way so like if you go through 
my old podcast, it's actually like during that time when him and I were collaborating uh, with ATG and Real Movement, there's quite a few episodes of Jeff and I um, talking about flexibility stuff. And we did the podcast together with Kit Lachlan and um, Emmett, of course. And then we did the Fellowship of the Range. Like that, we were able to kind of, you know, Emmett came in and we, this Fellowship of the Range thing kind of started. And uh, yeah. What was, that the, was what was that? It was just kind of us. We have a little chat going um, all the time where we kind of just talk about training and certain things we're seeing and, and stuff like that. And it was Emmett, like he kind of coined it like fellowship of the range. It was <laughs> funny. <laughs> and uh, then we did a few episodes, like just kind of under that umbrella, but like originally having him on as a guest for a few episodes was like just trying to get Emmett on as a guest so we can talk about his side of training and his background and stuff. Cause it's, it's, you know, like he's, he's the wizard. Right. So that was a cool relationship to kind of develop as well. Now it's like, I can still, you know, connect with uh, Emmett and Jeff on a regular basis this way, but yeah, Jeff and I still, I think I was actually just messaging him right before we started this podcast. Like we still talk about training and stuff every day. Um, but that when ATG and real movement were trying to find that merge, that was when uh, the range of strength stuff was kind of being shared on both sides. And Jeff was uh, working on some programming stuff with me and I was working on the coaches stuff with him. And we were like trying to figure out how that worked. And it really, it wasn't really clearly laid out kind of, over time for a while and then when the atg guys kind of split like they're not connected like they were back then that was kind of when everything started switching and changing and becoming more just knees over toes guy in atg and range of strength was kind of like a byproduct of it like it was kind of like a second I don't know, more of a second thought, like how do we just kind of make this kind of merge in? And that was when I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm just going to go do my own thing and, uh, you know, figure it out from there. Like just start coaching people and, you know, using some of these systems and, and updating these systems and sharing some of the new ideas I had. And, um, and that's where we are now where I have the membership set up and just doing my coaching kind of thing. Could you tell me what your definition of mobility is? Uh, I was started reading a book uh, recommended to me by uh, Angus Bradley. Do you know Angus? No. No, he's a uh, he's an up and coming coach. He's uh, dropping a lot of heat on social media, but oh. I've had some back and forth uh, discussion with him, and uh, he recommended this book anti-fragile ah yes I don't know if by talib yeah yeah it's, i've been getting into that uh recently and i'm kind of feeling like that is a better definition of flexibility than maybe like just the dictionary term um anti-fragile you know the ability to actually put yourself among stressors and um just kind of not have that fragile kind of mentality but we're we're developing movement capacities to a degree where we um, are anti-fragile, like we can withstand whatever comes our way. And that's really like flexibility to me is like your degrees of freedom, your flexibility reserve, like for 
the scenario where things aren't perfect because life doesn't move in a perfect line in a perfect, you know, neutral spine or whatever. And however many research papers you got to present. So people understand that that's just our bodies adapt and we shape and we mold and we figure things out kind of our own way. That's all subjective to the degrees of freedom you have at your joints uh, and your muscles and your connective tissue. And the more that we have or the best to the ability that we can create that, I mean, the more options we're going to be have to move freely and do the things that we want to do. And I think that's probably the best way to think about flexibility. Like flexibility is everything to me now. Strength training is flexibility, like a squat. That's a demonstration of flexibility. Like it's not this like passive endeavor where it's still often sought out to be. It's like, no, everything is flexibility because you wouldn't be able to do any of that if you didn't have a certain degree of flexibility. And you can do that better when you have good flexibility. So I think that I'm starting to think about anti-fragile now is like, you know, maybe the better way to get that message out. But even range of strength is in saying range of strength, it kind of connects with people more. It's like, I mean, the more strength you have in your range, the more degrees of freedom you have and the more flexibility you have, the more, you know, ability you have to overcome um, the scenarios that you may be put thrust upon. So I think that's a good, uh, way to think about it. And with, if we start thinking about it more that way, it becomes more of a priority for people because they can see that it's not just the splits, right? It's, you know, it's not just a feat, um, but rather, you know, the reserve that we have worst case scenario or whatever it is that we want to do to be able to do that and to do it well and, without fatigue, um, kind of all those things. That being said, do you only ever train those capacities, strength and flexibility uh, collect together? Or is there a place where you would train things separately? Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of when you get into the thought process of like, hard style flexibility work versus like soft style yoga or, you know, it doesn't have to be yoga, but more relaxed stretching and the importance of what that can do for your, you know, rest and digest your nervous system. Um, you can find reasons to do that. A lot of people maybe struggle with finding why it is that they need to do that. And everything's kind of like, go, go, go. And, you know, I want to have it all in one, one place, one stop so that I can have freedom to go do other things. But, um, my practice definitely is a combination of the two. It always has been. And just trying to figure out, um, you know, where that fits from day to day. Um, but those soft style, relaxed flexibility sessions are, um, separated from this more updated or upgraded thought of training strength and flexibility together. Um, you don't have to like the, the thought process, I guess there too, is that you don't have to train flexibility hard every day. Like that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Cause a lot of people get caught up in that too. Like I got to stretch every day and, and if I'm going to get flexible, I got to go super hard. It's like, no, when you see it through the lens of strength training, you know, you can put the same kind of 
effort forward that you would do with progressing a barbell squat, you need time to rest and recover from tissue adaptations and those kind of things. But the cool thing about flexibility is it does offer that second piece, which nothing else does, right? It's like that meditative sort of relaxed style approach where we can just kind of put ourselves in this scenario where we can recover better or we can actually channel in our parasympathetic nervous system. So I think that's where flexibility becomes more dynamic for us is where we have the option to view it through the lens of strength training, but then view it through the lens of relaxed style stretching. And cause that's also a message kind of getting shared too, is like, you don't have to stretch and you don't have to do this relaxed kind of BS. And it's like, well, it's, it's all good. It's just, you know, where it's put and why you use it and what you use it for kind of what's the goal. So yeah, like I definitely still like to have the practice set up in that way where they're a little bit separated. Um, and some people respond at different stages in their flexibility journey to having it separated more depending on what their goals are. So I just even had a conversation with a client uh, last week where they're, they're kind of getting past those newbie stages where you can get the buy-in from a lot of the weighted mobility stuff. And, you know, you can have the static stretching there and it's kind of like things start to halter. You're not seeing as much progress. It's like, okay, well now we need to make a little bit of a switch and prioritize some of the longer stretching stuff and, and allow the body to kind of settle into these new ranges and allow adaptations to occur in a different way, which is like, we talked about earlier in the podcast, some people kind of get to that stage and say, nah, <laughs> just kind of go back to, I'm feeling good enough. I don't need to, you know, go that hard into it or go that deep with it. So it's one of those things. The loaded mobility is the, the sexiest of all, undoubtedly. Yeah. Talking mm -hmm. back about Jefferson curls and skin and the cat and you know I, I looked at your instagram this morning you had some cossack squats a barbell cossack squats on there um i know i've gotten myself into trouble as a coach before with uh online programming where we put out uh, some stuff around some standards around uh, loaded cossacks and sort of mm -hmm. setting a bit of a target saying like you know this is where you be it as a, as a beginner here's intermediate and then, you know, if you're a real savage, you, you could throw whatever half of your body weight on and perform, you know, 16 alternating reps. And I had a bunch of people sending me videos of them performing horrendous repetitions with, you know, way too much weight on their back. And it's like, fuck you. The, with that, with the power of, hey, this, this thing used at the right time, used responsibly, can produce great results. However, it can also produce great injury. Um, yeah. how, do you, how do you manage that? as a as a coach and as someone who's you know predominantly online um, yeah what's your process there yeah that's the hardest part for online training is like giving incentive to work towards things without hurting a lot of people right it's the accessibility of programming now where it's you know i can do custom programming but some people they just want a template and you know you look at that template and you got to try to say you got to try to cover all bases on this template of a perfect avatar. Um, I've started creating these milestones. So it's, I just call it the milestones 
system for range of strength now. So you come in and there's like 12 basics. There's 12 graduate milestones, um, 12 feats of range. Like if you go harder, you want to go deeper with it. And the milestones, maybe even it's just the term of milestones versus standard. It's just kind of like these are milestones that you can reach. And here's like different levels. And I think you get that wording right where it's like, you kind of want to be, if there's 12 of them hitting like seven or eight to feel like you can kind of move into like certain other areas and work on things. Um, I think that that's kind of more the, the way you want to talk to a global kind of population of people about these things is, Hey, if, if you are chasing really big numbers here, make sure it's kind of balanced out with some kind of intensity in this movement or make sure you can kind of hit at least six of these pretty good or feel comfortable with them before loading up a bodyweight Jefferson curl. Right. So, uh, flexibility standards are a lot harder to identify as well, because like you said, like the, the weighted mobility stuff is the sexy stuff, but it's not your entry point. Like it's not your entry point stuff. So the basics milestones I've laid out are more flexibility based, like traditionally, like you should be able to palm the floor pike or come be pretty comfortable with a fold before we start going super heavy on a Jefferson curl. Like, I mean, people need to have those kind of things laid out kind of expectations set for them so that, yeah, the sexy stuff doesn't become uh, your entry point or something that, you know, you feel like you're capable of. It's like, flexibility standards haven't been identified enough uh, at least entry level ones for people to kind of know is like you know you should be able to put your arms up straight touch the wall like before we kind of get into these crazy heavy crossover cross bench pullovers or those kind of things so i think that's where coaches want to look to setting standards online just have a movement assessment in place where people feel like they can at least can you do eight of these like comfortably it's like okay well you can use this intensity like level one two and three kind of approach um so that at least you can tier things a little bit better if you're working it with like people that are running templates i think that's the language you want to get into more now where it's like you know level three whatever is really sexy and crazy, but you're not ready for that yet. Cause you haven't kind of hit this entry level point milestone where you got to put a little more work in. So, I mean, that's all, I think flexibility training hasn't made those connections yet between that uh, weighted mobility kind of stuff versus like entry point stuff hasn't been laid out as clearly enough for people. It's, it's arguably a harder job, isn't it? From a, from a coach, from a programming perspective, because strength is quite it, it is in a sense quite linear could you perform x amount of reps at x amount of weight or right. you know whichever variation versus qualities or perhaps levels of comfort or you know capacity yeah. within positions to express um flexibility yeah. is um yeah it's very nuanced and i, I think yeah. that uh, you know i think in part that that's why a lot of coaches just almost don't don't fuck with it because it's yeah. Because in a sense, strength is easier to coach. Like going back to the yeah. powerlifting example, um, not to say that that powerlifting programming is is in any way um, 
easy, mm-hmm. though it is simple in its in the the desired outcomes. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where you kind of have to create those desired outcomes. That's what people need to see with flexibility is like you can't just say, "Can you touch your toes?" It's rather, "Can you?" touch your toes comfortably for 30, maybe 60 seconds and breathe and understand what's happening. And then that's a whole different story, right? Cause people reach for their toes. They're like, Oh, I touched my toes. It's like, no, man, I want you to hang out down there in this lengthened position. And that's when the game changes is a coach stretch is another good example. Like people hammer their head back. Oh, I can do a coach stretch. It's, no. Can you position your pelvis this way and breathe comfortably and hold this for 60 seconds? And it's like, Oh no, I can't. So those, yeah, those targets or kind of clearly laid out objectives, like they haven't been uh, laid out enough for people to understand them as they do to like, can you bench two plates aside or whatever? It's like not stretching is kind of the same. If you put those guidelines there, it's like not just stretch your hamstring, but can you hold this position in shape, breathe comfortably for this amount of time, measuring degrees the degree of range that they currently have and comparing that to like where they should be. Um, and there could be a better job done maybe in the research to show outside of like the basic norms of joint movement, you know, like flexibility, like what happens when you take someone on this kind of flexibility journey and those norms of uh, range of motion that you're kind of looking for to set some targets. Um, I think that's where a lot of people need to see because yeah, knowing that you need 90 degrees of hip flexion, you know, is like an important normal trait of a human being uh, versus the in-between of that is like a front split. So it's like, oh, I got 90 degrees hip flexion, but I want to do a front split. Like where are the steps between that? And like how are, you know, like people don't have that laid out as clearly for them as they should. Could you talk on, Sort of further to your to that point, what the main mistakes you see people who are setting out early on this journey making? Uh, I'm guessing you know people who are seeing range of strength stuff, people who are saying, okay, uh, you know, I got to get into deeper, better positions. I can use a bit of weight. I can incorporate a bit of that. Yep, Jefferson curls. I'm on it. Where do yep. you see people going wrong most commonly? Just going too hard, right? Because yeah, the reverse effect can happen and pushing yourself into new ranges or getting into loaded mobility type work is the same as strength training. And you can just overload the system and thrash yourself way too hard, way too soon. And this is where you, now we need to talk about programming, right? So like, how do you actually lay out a 12 week block of flexibility training programming where it, progression makes sense or uh, there's some kind of uh, rules of thumb there that they're following so they don't overdo it too soon they know when there has to be a period of accumulation versus intensity uh, and setting those expectations like the first three weeks you're just figuring out what the workouts are and like just learning to be there the second three weeks you're doing that in stride so you're you're showing up and you're confident in what you're doing and then having some kind of scale of intensity or some kind of uh, framework of like threshold type work is very important because holding a stretch is one thing 
then applying contractions in a stretch is another thing. And then actually adding intensity to that stretch is like the third thing. So it's kind of ensuring that all of those things are laid out for the individual to better understand. Um, and that's what I've really been trying to lay out more clearly on like my programs and my membership is like those educational pieces where uh, we're, we're not just doing a program and thinking like, I'm going to get flexible. It's like totally different journey. It's like we're, we're doing the program, but trying to understand how we're going to get flexible. Like, how am I going to stretch? How am I going to make this stretch more intense? How does the workout become more intense? And how do I use these other components like strength training or loading a stretch um, to my own advantage where it's actually going to progress and, and I'm actually going to see some progress. So yeah, the, the biggest mistake most people make is they train too hard. They just go too hard with it because they want to something about that range of motion, right? I want that range. So I'm going to force it. And the best way to think about it is a new range of motion or a new space to be in is like a new one rep max on your squat. So you can't do that all the time. Like you got to learn to get into that space, get strong in that space. And then you got to do that constantly. Like you got to constantly work at getting, it's not going to be there the next time. That's always the question is like, why aren't I, you know, I was, I was here before, but now it's taking me a little longer to get there. Or, you know, it's, it's just a different process for people to understand and always connecting it to what you already know is important. And that's what worked for me is, you know, connecting what I already knew with powerlifting or strength training and with that kind of thought process of periodizing and kind of allowing things to adapt over time. And that's where you can have more success with it. Do you see strength training as uh, in a, in a more typical sense, lifting weights, gymnastic strength training type stuff? Do you see that as always playing a part in someone who is trying to become more flexible, or might um, I, might it not say for someone who already has a lot of strength training experience, like the powerlifter, but has you know is lacking flexibility? Yeah, I think it it will because you don't want to merge yourself into a new range of movement without strength. Like, and when you get there the first couple of times, it should be done passively. Like for the most part, when we think about end range strength training, like a static stretch, learning to get into a new end range through like static stretching is actually the end range strength training that we're looking for at those end range or uh, starting points not a heavy Jefferson curl, right? So you, you think about now I'm educating someone that this is actually in range strength training, not a big loaded uh, incline dislocate or something. Um, and kind of building off of that into strength, you're always going to want strength. So whenever we create a new range of movement and it's going to be done more passively at the start, now we want to find a way to get into that space and, and make it strong. So we got to get, get into that space more frequently. Um, and we got to spend more time under tension in that space, contracting. We got to maybe think about adding load. Um, strength is always going to be like the piece to maintaining or actually owning your flexibility. And, you know, you get the same thing will happen on the opposite end where someone's already really flexible 
and they're having issues and they're, they don't have the strength piece. Everything's kind of passive tissue and um, they haven't made those connections yet to like, you know, how do you actually use this range of motion that I have so much access to? Um, so I think really it's all strength. Um, and that's what flexibility is, is like that reserve that you have is like a reserve that you can, you know, produce within strength, but I don't see the two ever being separated. Like they should always be together. And that's, I think the missing piece. That's a really nice way to frame it. I like what you said there. The strength training is what allows you to own your flexibility to, yeah. to make those positions permanent and, and to consolidate them. Yeah. That's a, a fascinating criticism that you often hear from the, the S and C realm about, you know, when you, when you, when you see this stuff, usually on social media, um, more kind of strength heavy coaches who cite studies showing that flexibility training is only, only produces short term results. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, that in some way makes it not worth doing. Um, which I find interesting because in fact, all training is a short term result. Like, yeah. you know, you could do some bicep curls today. It's not going to, you know, your biceps won't be jacked forever. Yeah. Can you talk to me about that sort of, I guess I would say it's a common misconception, particularly from yeah. the, you know, from the, the strength and conditioning convention. Yeah. And I think if you're gonna, you know, have the podcast now where we're talking a lot about flexibility, we got to bring Dan Van Zant flexibility research into the picture because uh, he's been a mentor of mine um, more on the educational side uh, the last few years. And he really brings all the research to the forefront. Like if you're in flexibility training as a coach and you're trying to present this to people who may be argumentative, like he's a guy you need to have on your side because he presents the research. And a lot of this research that gets, again, People will pull research that, um, you know, abides by their bias is like, no, look, this research paper said this. And it's like, there's so much more research that has said the opposite. And a lot of that research that says that uh, flexibility is like a temporary um, or, you know, stretching is just like a temporary kind of thing. Again, yeah, it's not um, like the study itself. It, it hasn't been conducted in a long enough period of time to actually validate if that's a long-term result uh the degree of um elasticity or whatever they found that it affected maybe power output it's like when that gets blown out of proportion and you go back and look at the study and realize that it's like like 0 0.0 of a third or zero zero right like it's the degree of which they're blowing this out of proportion to like, does that really going to affect the general population or is it going to affect an elite sprinter, which it doesn't even really affect them to this high degree that everyone's blowing it up to be. Um, yeah. Like the, I think you really just got to look for where people have done the work themselves. And that's always where I go is I try to find the mentors that, have made people flexible and like know how to do that then find the research to kind of back up that stuff because that's often the opposite of what you see happening is everyone's always throwing the research out there and evidence 
kind of work and it's like okay well we know this works and this person has done this with thousands of people um where does the research say that this actually what they're doing is working and it's validated and we need guys like dan that can um bring that to the forefront and that's what he's doing we did a podcast together where we dispelled like he came in and he dispelled like the four most common myths and flexibility and short being a short-term effect uh was one of them and that it affects your uh you know power output um like these common ones that you see uh, and it's just not true and if there is a result to like a certain degree it's not enough to like validate that that's something that is worth um considering as like a a deficit or something that you know is going to affect everybody again we're talking about now a general population of people that don't even really exercise or are sedentary is like static stretching going to matter if they do it in the warm-up <laughs> or you know what i mean like that's kind of how you have to start thinking about that practical side of it and how that's going to help you help more people yeah i've i've always thought that and even uh, i, I got to check out van zandt's work because I, I've never been particularly up on on the studies, but the, the example I've always used is, uh, okay, let's say like, sure, let's say that static stretching before your workout does reduce your maximal power output by whatever, a percent um, mm-hmm. or a few percent. But let's say that you're so fucking tight that you can only express 50% of your potential hip mobility. Well, yeah. you're not going to be near, you're not going to be able to express anywhere near what your maximal power output anyway is because yeah. your hips don't move. So, if we stretch, why don't we take that one percent loss in order for a, you know maybe a forty percent you know gain in in opening up your hips kind of thing? Yeah, um, yeah. For me, it's just and of course maybe maybe things could change if you're talking about the absolute elite level who are hyper specialized and you know. Um, that kind of thing but for pretty much everyone that i work with and i'm sure it's the same for you more or less um yeah stretching is highly relevant and mm-hmm. even and i've really come around more so in recent years to just stretch stretch before you train so that you can get into better positions and have a better training session yep and even those people you know when you think about high level elite athletes like for the most part they demonstrate a lot of the prerequisite ranges of movement that they need for that sport so it's you know we're not looking at this person and saying oh they're inflexible they, they have flexibility for the most part like a lot of these times and that's what you need to look at too is like everybody needs flexibility but if you already have it you need to know how to identify that and what that person needs so we can maintain their flexibility they just need to strength train and strength training is flexibility training they're still doing flexibility like those four components of flexibility training active uh, static active and static passive and dynamic active and dynamic passive those are that covers everything in the fitness industry every single type of fitness is covered under those four types of flexibility so to erase flexibility is just it's everything so it's just what type of flexibility do you need more of do you need more passive static probably because you you're so bound up and tight you can't even strength train do you need more dynamic active because you already have a lot of these positions and ranges yeah and that's really i think 
coaches can do a better job of just identifying that. What type of flexibility does this person need? And, and kind of go on from there rather than trying to erase it. Lucas, man, um, I've enjoyed the shit out of this conversation. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate you making the time. And um, I, I love your work. I love what you do. Uh, I follow your Instagram. I, you, I love your music choice. You put some Led Zeppelin on with the Cossacks. I was like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of nuance there to, uh, to, to marketing and to what people put out. And I like your nuance. I wanted to let Thanks. you know that. Um, appreciate it. Can you, can you plug your stuff, tell people where they can find your program, where they can join the Range of Strength community, et cetera? Uh, Range of Strength on Instagram, um, rangeofstrength.ca, the old Canadian kind of sign-off. Uh, that's where you'll find all the information about working with me, either on the membership where you get programming access and direct contact with me or customization programming where we can do like some assessment-based work. Um, yeah, that's, I, I try to keep it simple. I don't want to have too many, I have a YouTube channel and a podcast and, you know, you can get into a lot of the content and stuff, obviously for free at those levels. And on my Instagram, I'm, I'm, I'm never withholding information. I'm trying to share it so people can kind of make choices for themselves. Um, as all the mentors I've worked under kind of do that. And I think that's important is, you know, just sharing what you know and what you, how you think you can help people and, and kind of letting them make those choices themselves. But those are those are the main platforms to find my stuff. Mate, that's awesome. I um yeah, I strongly uh I strongly agree with just putting your stuff out there. There's of course it it can seem like you're giving your stuff away for free when you kind of want people to pay for it because that's your business. But at the end of the day, the people that really want to get close to you will will come and buy your stuff and join your site. And then the people that are maybe just more on the fringes and maybe they're not ready to buy yet, but they, giving them, helping them is, is essentially what you're trying to do, isn't it? So you, you're, yeah. I think people think they shoot themselves in the foot by, by putting the good content out there, but in fact, it just works in the opposite way. Yeah, and people can make their own choices and most people don't know what to do with a lot of the things you put out anyway. It's like they need a coach. So just keep sharing your stuff so that they can make those choices as to like what kind of coach they need. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good message. I think for people listening that maybe are coaches and into that kind of stuff for themselves. Cause yeah, you don't want to get into that world where you're afraid to share stuff because it's, that's a hard, hard go. If that's the way you, how you're doing business. Mate. Um, thank you. I, uh, I want you to stick around cause I'd like to just have a little wrap up once we, once we stop recording on this, um but guys thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed the chat today with lucas aaron uh go follow his stuff check it out it's it is really cool and it's and it's good to support people out there who are carving their own path doing the thing and spreading the good word within the fitness realm um because as you know there's a lot of bullshit out there and so the people that cut through that are the people that should get the attention uh if you want any help from us you can get us at junglebrothers.com and if you like the episode please share it with a friend Uh, subscribe to the show just help to to share the word because that will support what we do and continue to bring on more epic guests like lucas thank you guys for listening we'll catch you next week peace